You can be seated, and we're going to start in Hebrews 11, where we've been, the first three verses here. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which are Visible. Amen? So, in verse 3, we see very clearly that not only is the worlds framed, but the word for worlds there in the Greek, where it says the worlds were framed by the word of God, the word in the Greek there can also mean the ages. So, it's not just this physical world that we think about, but actually the future is also framed by the word of God. And by faith. So the rest of that chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, illustrates how God chose to work with humanity, how God chose to work with human beings in order to create the future together, to collaborate, to create a new future by faith. Now, one of the things that we have to get through our minds, I believe, to help us come to the fullness of what God wants us to see, is we have to stop calling the Bible the Word of God. Now, you heard me correctly. (laughs) Now, everything in the Bible is inspired by God. It is a revelation to us, a written revelation to us of the gospel, of the person of Christ, of God's interactions with humanity. But when we say something is the something, we make it the totality. Right? So when we say the Bible is the Word of God, we say it's the totality of everything that there is about God. And the Bible does never makes that claim about itself. And the Bible actually tells us the Word of God is the structural foundation of all of creation. That's what it's saying here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, that the worlds were framed or uh, by the Word of God, right? So the Word of God is the totality of the mind of God, and that cannot be contained in 66 books. Right? So I just think it's helpful. It's the Bible, it's inspired, it's all that stuff. But when we say it's the Word of God, we we really reduce ourselves and limit ourselves to what we can know and understand about God. Is everybody cool with that? Now, the other thing, the other really important point that we want to make is the future is not fully decided and it is not fully settled. It is open-ended and it is unresolved. And God wants you and I to be involved in choosing a future and collaborating with him to frame it up for ourselves. Yes, Aaron. It's very important that we understand that. Otherwise, your prayer means nothing. Your prayer does absolutely nothing. If God's already settled and decided what's going to happen, your prayer does nothing. But prayer, I mean, prayer is a lot of things. Prayer is engaging God. Prayer is getting to know God. But prayer is also framing up the future together with God. (laughs) And so your thoughts and feelings are integrated with the Word. Think about this. when, When the Bible talks about the Word of God, it talks about the totality of the mind of God. And everything that was created came out of the mind of God. In the Greek, it's called the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Logos. And everything that was made was made by that Word. Right? And so we know, and that Word became flesh. So what, with this, this, this structure of reality is actually a person who was manifested in the person of Christ. 
And then as believers and as followers of Jesus, we are in Christ, which means we are integrated into that place. So you and I have been integrated into the Logos. We have been integrated into the Word of God. We have been integrated into Christ who created all things and holds all things together. Therefore, your thoughts and feelings are interacting with the mind of God and having an influence on what is being framed up and created for you about your future. Hallelujah. Amen. So the word is not the letters on the book. It is the creative energy and the mind of God that permeates all things. Dr. Obaniah, our good friend, has been with us a number of times. He says, uh, he says it this way. It's the substance that substantiates everything that is. Or he says it this way. It's the structural foundation for all that exists. So through it, we are united to everything. <laughs> Matthew Fox, who's another Christian theologian, Christian theologian, in, in, in commenting on what the Word of God is, he says this, There is one flow, one divine energy, one divine Word in the sense of the creative energy flowing through all things, all time, and all space. We are part of that flow, and we need to listen to it. I love that. So what this means then is you and I have the power to remodel our life. We have the power to remodel our life. See, every single one of you in here, without exception, you are a being of incredible power. Without exception, everybody in here, everybody watching, everybody listening to the sound of my voice, you are powerful. Your choices have power. Your thoughts and your feelings have power. And you can, you can, everybody in here, without exception, you can reframe and remodel the future and influence by your heartfelt beliefs, your thoughts and your feelings. The internal structure of your world impacts the outer world at the level, uh, at, at a very deep and very profound level, so that you are participating and framing up the life that you have. And the reality is, is that the life that you're living now, the life that you're experiencing now, has very much, very much been influenced and is to some degree, not, to, not in totality, because you're not, you're not omnipotent. <laughs> You're not all powerful. You are not God in that sense. But the reality is, is that you have a great uh, deal of power and influence upon your life. And so the life that you and I are living to a large degree is the byproduct of what we think and feel, but oftentimes at a very unconscious level. We've been saying this, but your heart beliefs are 5,000 times more powerful than what you think in your head. They can, they can validate that scientifically. And our problem in the West is we're alienated from our heart. And, and for a lot of us, we don't really know what we think or believe at a heart level. And so you can be thinking something at a cognitive level, at a surface level, at the level of your mind, and even be choosing something at the level of your mind, but be feeling quite differently. <laughs> And have quite different heartfelt beliefs. And it's those heartfelt beliefs that's programming and framing up and modeling the future that you're going to walk into. But the fact of the matter is, you can change that. You have the power to change that. Now when we think about remodeling, I got to thinking about this church building. We've been here about a year and a half, uh, I guess, right? We bought it about two years ago. 
And when we were going through this process of looking, and we finally decided we were going to buy this building, uh, if you remember, we were those of you that were with us, we were over in Pueblo on Adams, and uh, we, you know, we didn't make a big deal out of it when we bought the building. We didn't bring everybody to come check out the building and come look at it. And there's a reason for that. I, I kind of deliberately kept it a secret. And so I guess today is my time to come clean and confess and say, yes, I was keeping it a secret and I was keeping it a secret on purpose. Would you like to know why? Because the, inter- the structure of this building, the way it looked when we bought it is very different than how it looks now. And it looked like very much a step down rather than a step up. And I'll tell you why that was. Because when we bought this building, the church that had had it before us, they had a Christian school in this building. And so, actually, if you can, if you can imagine this, in this sanctuary, in this building, there were three classrooms. Not just one or two. There were three classrooms in this area here. There was two in the back, back here. And there was one, if you look back at the sound booth here where the wall is, there was another wall that came all the way across here and everything back there was also part, was also a classroom. So the, uh, it was kind of discombobulated. And it was smaller. Sanctuary-wise. And then the carpet. I don't know why, but I remember the carpet. The carpet was this, you know, it had the original carpet. I mean, God bless them. I'm just, you know, whatever. But, you know, what was a real popular color for churches in the 90s? Come on, everybody knows. Uh, Mauve. It had mauve carpet, but this carpet had been really worn, so it wasn't mauve everywhere. There was lots of places. It was very brown. It was very gray. It was very black. And it had huge rips in the carpet that they had taken uh, uh, duct tape. And they had done their best to just lay out these strips of duct tape to try to patch up these holes and things that were in the carpet. The texturing on the walls was so bad that we actually hired somebody to come in and totally retexture the walls because the texturing was so terrible. And so we're moving from a, a what was a larger building into a smaller building. And it just didn't look like much. And so once we took ownership of it, we said, this is not going to fit our experience. This building, the way it exists, is not going to create the experience, the worship experience, that we want people to have. And not everybody has creative vision. Not not everybody has the ability to look at something and see potential. And so what we had to do was we had to come in and we had to remodel things. We had to tear out walls and classrooms and we tore up the carpet. And like I said, we retextured the walls. We put in a new sound system. We did all kinds of things to remodel the room so that we could change the experience that people would have of the building. So they would experience it completely differently. So my concern with not letting people come and see it was that I didn't think that initial experience would be very um, life-giving or wonderful. And so we wanted to wait till we could create a different experience. But in order to create a different experience, we had to reframe things. We had to remodel things. Now, our problem with life is we try to go about changing everything in life except changing what's going on on the inside. 
Because we've been taught as Westerners, as Americans, as moderns, as those that are part of a secular humanistic society, we've been taught that our thoughts and feelings don't have any influence on what's going on around us. That, that the only thing that matters is action. We even say, you know, actions speak louder than words. You know, don't let me hear you. What's that quote? It's erroneously attributed to Francis of Assisi. Uh, you know, everywhere you go, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Francis of Assisi never said that. No Christian that's ever read the Bible has ever said that because Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. And it, it diminishes the power of words when we say that, but it's our cultural thing. Because we think there's got to be concrete action to change concrete reality. So let me just give you an example. If you have a job that stinks, if you don't like your boss and you don't like your coworkers, and you uh, and and you want to improve your life by changing every every aspect of your environment that you don't like, how much do you have to control? How much do you have to change? How much do you have to work on? And so if you think your only option to change something is to work on it out here, you become very, very hopeless and you begin to feel very, very powerless. Because we don't realize that the most powerful thing that we have is, can, is in our heart. That what we have inside us is, is, is incredibly more powerful and full of more potential than what is outside of us. That really, if you can focus your thought on purpose, and you can focus your feeling on purpose, and you can focus your imagination on purpose, and you can hold it, you absolutely can begin to influence the visible world. You absolutely can begin to remodel your life by beginning within and remodeling what's going on at a level of thinking and feeling. That's what prayer is. That's what faith is. That's what it means to be a child of God. To have that kind of potential and ability and power resident inside of you. And I'm going to tell you something right now. It's a whole lot easier to control and to, and to, to, yes, to control your thinking and your feeling than it is your coworkers. It's a whole lot easier to control your attitude than it is the politics. And it has power to reframe. By reframing what's going on on the inside, you can absolutely change your experience. Just like when we remodeled this building, we changed our experience of it. When you remodel on the inside, you change the entire experience of your life and you can walk into a brand new day. Hallelujah. A brand new day. One that you, because here's the reality. You are framing your future because of who you are. Because of how powerful you are as a human being and as a child of God. Whether you choose to be powerful or not, you are powerful. Whether you choose to believe that you're powerful or not, you are powerful. You are so powerful that you are framing your future with intention or without intention. With consciousness and awareness of it or without consciousness and awareness of it, it does not matter. You are still using that power every day of your life. And so the question becomes, do you want, do you and I want to continue to unconsciously frame up a future for ourselves? Or do we want to frame up a future with intention and with awareness and with consciousness? That's really the issue. Because you're doing it already. You're doing it with your, your, your core beliefs. Now, now, belief, this is just psychology, alright? So, but think about it, it's common sense. You, you don't have to study psychology to understand it, this is just common sense. A belief has emotion or it's not a belief. 
A thought that is not energized by a feeling is not a belief. It's just a thought. You don't believe everything that floats through your head. You don't believe everything that you say. You don't believe everything that you hear. But when you get down to what you really believe and what you really stand for and what you're really about, it is a thought that is absolutely energized with heart-feeling power. For it to be a belief, it has to be a combination of thought and emotion or it's not a belief. So to try to say, I'm not moved by what I feel, I'm only moved by what I believe, is to deny reality completely and totally misunderstand faith altogether. You are moved by what you... You can't be moved by what you believe without being moved by what you feel. Because I feel there is a feeling component to a belief. It drives me crazy when I hear preachers say that. I've heard it like for 20 years, I'm like, you're nuts! And what they're doing to people is they're saying, ignore what you feel. So basically what they're saying is ignore what's going on in the, uh, in the, in, at, at the realm of creating the future. Ignore what you feel and act on the Word of God in the Bible. So ignore what you're actually framing up so you can be more unconscious, so you can get more of what you don't want. And then be frustrated with God that it didn't work. Don't shout me down now just because I'm preaching really good. (laughs) So we must awaken and we must take conscious control or we must take ownership up over what we choose to renovate and remodel. See, before we had this building, it would have been crazy for us. Before we owned this building, it would have been totally crazy for us to bust in on a Sunday morning and say, I don't like that wall. I hate this carpet. That texturing stinks, and bring our hammers and our crowbars and start smashing stuff up. They would have us arrested. They might throw us in... They might think, you know, we've lost our minds. Right? Because we don't own it. So the reality is you can't change something you don't own. It's true in the natural, it's true in the spiritual. So until you and I take ownership of our inner experience, until we take ownership of what we think and feel, we cannot consciously begin to change it. Now a lot of people have trouble taking ownership for what they think and feel because they think taking ownership is the same as taking blame. And taking ownership is not the same as taking blame. And there's one simple way that you can uh, uh, look at it. Blame is always looking to the past for the cause. Blame is always looking to the past. It's somebody's fault. It's something somebody did, something I did. So we, I got to look at the past and find somebody to blame. So, and then we think that's taking ownership. That's not taking ownership. And part of your problem is, is you think the past is controlling you. Instead of, instead of realizing that you're so powerful that the past doesn't have to have any power over you at all. That you're more powerful than an event that has passed away. Who you are as a human being, who you are as a child of God is more powerful than circumstances 
circumstances that happen to you in your life. And because you are a co-creator of the future, the reality is, is that the future is exerting more influence upon your present, if you choose for it to, than your past. That you literally, as a child of God, by faith, can give substance to things hoped for. That God put something inside you. God put the power to dream inside you. God put the power to believe in a better future inside you. God put the power to believe that something good was going to happen to you. And when you shift from blame to ownership, you begin to look at the future and say, okay, God, how can we co-create a better day tomorrow? How can we remodel a better life for us for tomorrow, for our families, for our children, etc.? And so no longer do we have to look to the past for a cause. But we can say, no, we're going to look to a better future. Hope is going to be the cause. (laughs) And hope always has to do with the future. It never has to do with what is behind us. Now, when we moved in, we didn't choose the carpet. We didn't like the carpet. We didn't choose the classrooms. We didn't like the classrooms. It was already structured for us that way. So we had a choice. We could accept the structure that someone else put in place and live in it and deal with it and continue to experience and manage our life around it. Or we could say we don't like that, we want something else. And even though somebody else put it in, we could take ownership enough to change it. And you know, our inner world is really like that because most of what you believe, you didn't choose. Most of what you think about life, most of what you think about yourself, really for a lot of us, even what we think about God, what we think about what it means to be a Christian, we didn't choose any of that. You didn't even get to choose what language you speak or think in. If you don't even choose the building blocks of your own thoughts, how can you possibly think that you got to choose everything that you think and believe at a heart level? See, a lot of what you think and believe was given to you by your parents, or your peers, or your school teachers, or your culture, or what it means to be an American. Or what it means to be a Christian, or by your church, or who God is, or what it means to follow God. All of that was stuff that you learned. And learning, by definition, in our culture, means that you accept somebody else's thinking and feeling and internalize it and make it your own. And they'll even test you to make sure you did it. We're going to tell you how to think, and then we're going to test you to make sure you think like we told you how to think. And then you and I end up inhabiting internally a structure and and content that we didn't even want. And so that's why we like to play the blame game. That's why we like to say, well, this happened to me because my parents. This happened to me because my culture. This happened to me because uh, I had some traumatic experience that happened to me in my life. This happened to me because I was abused. This happened to me because I was abandoned. This happened to me because a school teacher told me that I was going to be stupid. This happened to me because... Right? And so we just blame. And when you don't blame, you don't take ownership. So that's like, that's like signing the papers to the building and not inhabiting it. 
So what it means really to wake up, what it means really, 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 the first thing to changing life is, is taking ownership and realizing I'm inhabiting structures and I've got to look at it and I've got to say, okay, what about the structure of my internal experience is no longer serving me? What is it about where I've been living that I don't like? And I've got to really start to ask myself, does this way of thinking and feeling bring value to my life? Does this way of thinking and feeling enhance my experience? Does it empower me to go forward into a future? Or does it keep me, does it keep me limited? Does it keep me bound? Do, do I like the color of the carpet? Do, do I like this tear over here that's been patched up with medication or talk therapy or religion? I've got these gaping holes in my life, but I've got to look good because, you know, you're a good Christian, so you tape it up with your Christian duct tape and let everybody walk over it and pretend that nobody sees it. And really, you know, the reality is you don't want to bring everybody into your internal world. <laughs> at least not at first. Right? And that's okay. But you better go there. And you better take an honest evaluation unless you want to just keep having what you've been having. Your potential to bring about change is incredible. So you could say it this way. If you don't first go within and work on and remodel what's within, you're going to go without. So let's look at this from the life of Paul. Let's go to the book of Acts. 26. Acts 26, verse 9. <clears throat> Paul is giving his testimony here to King Agrippa. Watch the language he uses. He says, I too, verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to, to blaspheme. Watch this. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Notice his internal experience that he's talking about. Don't just think about the circumstances. Notice what he's saying about how he's thinking and feeling. I was obsessed. <laughs> On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. And about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. <laughs> 
I don't like the word disobedient. It's very Western. It's very secular humanistic. And I'll tell you why. Because when we think about obedience, we only think about outward compliance. We only think about behavior. To obey is to comply behaviorally. To disobey is to not comply behaviorally. And that's actually not at all what the word means in the Greek. So let's look at it. Because <laughs> actually, there's a translation that instead of focusing... I'm, I'm sorry, this translation, this translation that we're, we have here, is a translation that focuses upon action but is disconnected at a heart level. And that's the problem with it. The actual Greek word is apathes. Apathes. And it's a compound word. It comes from the, the a in the, in the Greek is a negative participle. It means it cancels something out. It's a no. It's like a circle with a slash over what's coming next. Got it? And patho means to persuade, to induce one to believe, to win one's favor, and to gain trust. So really what he's saying is, I wasn't unpersuaded by the heavenly vision. I wasn't, I was not, not induced to believe. The vision won me over. The vision gained my trust. It doesn't have anything to do with an action that's outward compliance disconnected from the heart. It has to do with something that began within, with an inward persuasion. So watch what's happening to Paul, the apostle, in this experience. His entire internal world is, be, is being discombobulated. Imagine what it must have been like to be him. Here you've got a purpose. You've got a plan. You've got a future. You've been successful in it. It's all everybody gave you. You were, you were born uh, Jewish. You were born of the tribe of Benjamin. You were circumcised on the eighth day. You were a Pharisee of Pharisees. You kept the law perfectly. And you thought your one purpose in life was to stamp out this new cult. And all of a sudden, he has a mystical experience. He'd heard preaching. He was there when Stephen preached. Didn't change him. Didn't affect him. He's going, I mean, he'd encountered Christians. He'd, 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 I'm sure they, they loved him because they were really into that back then. Not like we are today, where we want to bomb our enemies and kill them and keep them out of the country. They weren't like that. They were real Christians. Not Americanized Republican Christians. They were real ones. And so they were into loving their enemies. So it wasn't love that changed him. He has this encounter with Jesus. And think about what happened. It totally shattered the structure of his internal experience. Completely messed him up. Now, he has to totally rethink everything about his life with Jesus as Lord in the center of it.
And he, and the Lord really, he says, this is the future I have for you. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you to the Jews. Don't worry about it. I'm going to rescue you from them. You're going to be my witness. You're, instead of persecuting them, you're going to turn people to... Instead of trying to turn people away, you're going to turn people towards. And it meant a complete rejection of everything he knew about himself up until that point. And it meant that once things got reframed internally, everything externally was going to go crazy on him. Think about it. He's got a whole new vision of who he is. He's got a whole new vision of his life. He's got a whole new vision of what it means to follow God. He's got a whole new vision of who he is as a human being, who he is as a person. Everything in his life now has to change. Everything in his internal experience is, has to be remodeled. But, but also, uh, <laughs> think about what that's going to do to the world around him as well when he acts on the new future that he consciously chooses for himself. God is not like we've thought, gang. Jesus is not like we've thought. Because you see, the, the devil will coerce you into a future to rob you of the ability to consciously choose it. He'll coerce you into it. He will take you captive without your knowledge and lie to you to get you to create a future that you're not consciously aware of. Or He will bribe you with good things to buy you off to get you to choose a future that he wants. Jesus does none of that with Paul. Jesus does not coerce him and tell him that he has to. Jesus does not sneak up on him and not tell him who he is. And Jesus does not bribe him with promises of blessing and an easy life. He uses none of his power to coerce to bribe or to control. That's not the God that we serve. What he does is he wakes him up to reality and then says, I want you to consciously choose where you go now. So don't, you know, don't, don't play this game with God where you think, oh, if I'm just obedient, God will bless me. That's God buying your obedience off. And he's not interested in doing that. And don't think, oh, if I don't obey, God's going to get me. Because that's God's using his power to punish you, to coerce you, to get you to go where he wants you to go. And don't think, and I've said this, I've been guilty of this, you know, God sneaks up on you. God doesn't tell you what you're really getting yourself into. How many of you ever said that? I never would have said no. I mean, I never would have said yes to the calling if I knew this is where it was going to take me, right? Come on, we've got to quit lying on God. He doesn't use deception. He doesn't use power. He doesn't use coercion. He doesn't use punishment. And, I hate to tell you this, He doesn't use blessing to get you to go someplace. He wakes you up and gives you the opportunity to choose to follow Him or not follow Him. To love Him or not love Him.
And you and I get the opportunity then to go to work on the inside and begin to say, okay, how do we frame up a new future? Because you've you, you got to do it within first. So let me give you a couple questions to ask yourself. The first one is, uh, in therapy, we, we call this one the miracle question. <laughs> and you ask somebody, if you could change something about your life, if you could change one thing, if you could change something about your life, what would it be that you would change? If you could magically wave a wand and, and, and change anything you wanted, what would be that one thing that you would change? Now, I'd be younger... I'd go back and play football. I mean, you, you, you gotta you gotta do it looking forward, not backwards. You understand what I'm saying? I'd regrow my hair. You understand what I'm saying? You keep it within the realm of what you know is. And frankly, nobody's going to, you know, if there's one thing you could change about your life, frankly, it's not going to be grow hair, probably. I'm just trying to give you ideas. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to say be reasonable, but I don't want to say be reasonable. Because you're not dealing with reason. You're dealing with the power of God and the potential of God and the potential of who you are as a child of God. But you ask yourself, what is the one thing that I would change? Then you have to look at your internal structure of beliefs, your thoughts, your feelings, and say, what is it about the way I'm thinking and feeling right now that prevents me from having the thing that I want most? What is it? So you take ownership. What is it about the way I'm thinking and feeling that's preventing me from having or changing the thing that I want to change most. See, you're asking yourself the right questions when you do that. You know, look around the room and say, wow, wonder what it'd be like if we knocked that wall out. Wonder what it'd be like if I didn't think that way anymore. Wonder what it'd be like if I didn't feel like that every day of my life. It means you, you can't just put the good stuff in. See, that's what we want. We want the power of positive thinking. Been there, done that. Just ended up more negative because positive thinking didn't work for me. (laughs) That's like pessimism gone to seed, right? You need to think positive. Yeah, I thought positive. It didn't work for me. (laughs) Work for everybody else but me. Work for Norman Vincent Peale. God made him a millionaire. Barely changes my attitude when I get up and go to work in the morning. You understand what I'm saying? Well, just confess it and possess it. Just name it and claim it. Just take it and it'll be yours. It's not that easy. Just ignore your doubts. No, actually that doubt is a big wall that you keep beating your head against. And what's, what's probably better is to acknowledge, wow, there's a wall there. I really do believe that I stink. I really do believe that I'm powerless. I really do believe that I'm worthless. I really do believe that I can't, that I have no access to enough gifting and enough value inside of me that somebody would pay me more for what I bring to the table. 
So I stay stuck in a financial future that is of my own making because of what I choose to believe about my own talents, potentials, and abilities. It was amazing when I, when, I, when I started to think, you know what, I'm intelligent. Like, I didn't used to believe that at all. At all. I mean, I, I was a terrible student. But I just decided I'm going to change that one belief. I'm going to start affirming myself and start believing I'm intelligent. And so one day I took like an IQ test again. And I found out I was like in the top 2% of people in the world based on my IQ score. Wow. So which came first? What you think about that one? I mean, listen, I, I graduated the, the back of my class. I mean, Trent went to school with me. He'll tell you. I was a knucklehead. Really. Going nowhere in a hurry. I had to change what I believed. All because they tried to stick me in remedial classes in the third grade. Somebody put a wall there. But I had to make a decision. I'm not, not going to live with that wall anymore. And you can change. Amen? Then the second thing is, all right, so here's where we'll we'll end this up. It's called the as-if frame. As-if. Everybody say with me, as-if. As-if frame. That means you act as if you already had it. (laughs) Let's say you're trying to get sober. Anybody in here trying to get sober? Just wonder if anybody had the guts to raise their hand. <laughs> Let's say you're you're hooked on something. Let's say you're hooked on drugs. You're hooked, hooked on alcohol. And and so and so getting sober is a goal for you. Well, well you you got to start. You, at some point, you got to quit saying I'm going to get. Every time I say I'm going to get, I'm going to change. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. You know what I'm actually saying? I'm not already that. So which has more power? See, what you're saying present tense about yourself is what keeps you in bondage. So if you say, I'm going to become, I'm going to get, I'm going to have, I'm going to be. Every time you say that, you put it off into the future, you're saying to yourself that you're not that already. And what's really crazy about this is you're saying to yourself at an unconscious level what you don't believe about yourself. And you're disowning the person that you want to be and pushing him out into the future. So you really are a dog chasing a carrot on a stick. Because that's the way you've structured your internal experience. And faith gives present substance to what you hope for. So if I say, I'm going to get sober, I'm going to get sober, I'm going to get sober, it's just a hope. And I keep saying to myself, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a drunk, I'm a drunk, I'm a drunk. I'm an addict. Hi, my name's Aaron. I'm an alcoholic. At some point, you've got to say, what would it be like as if it was already true? What it w- how would I act as if I was already sober? How would I act as if I was already intelligent? How would I act as if I was already healed? How would I act as if I was already prospering? How would I act as if I wasn't letting everybody else control my life instead of me controlling my own life and my own destiny? What would it be like if I acted as if I was a real Christian? That's, that's something to think about. 
What would it be like if I had that? As if love your neighbor as yourself was not optional. As if love your enemy was not optional. As if turn the other cheek was not optional. What would it be like? And see, I begin to set myself into that as-if frame. Now something's changing at the level of my thinking and feeling. Now I'm not changed. Now I'm not chasing the, the stick. I'm not chasing the carrot. I'm catching up to the carrot, and I'm getting comfortable in a reality that I wasn't comfortable in before. Which means, and that's really the problem, because there's this transition between who you were and who you're becoming. There's this transition between the way life was when you were living it in this box over here, and the way life will be once you get out of the box. And so, when you, why do you think that Abraham had to go walk a land in which he was a stranger? Why did God do that? Why did God give Abraham a a land, but then he says he was a stranger in his own land? Because it's all a picture of us and the walk of faith. Because if you're really going to create a new reality, whether you want to face it or not, you're a stranger to the future that you're walking into, even though you own it. And until you can walk in your land, even though you feel strange, even though you feel like you don't belong, even though you feel like it's somebody else's life and not yours, until you're able to do that, you can't walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham. So it may feel strange to you to call yourself intelligent. It it may feel strange to you when I say you're incredibly powerful. It may feel strange to you if you start praying for the sick or you start sharing your faith. It may feel strange to you if you start taking charge of your own life and living your own life. Hey, praise God, you're walking in the steps of faith that Father Abraham walked in. A stranger in your own land. And if you stay there long enough, you'll inherit it and you'll get comfortable in it and you'll experience it and you'll have it. Let me give you a really simple exercise. Everybody sees the future somewhere. Hopefully I can come back here without getting feedback. Cool. Everybody sees the future somewhere. The the way you organize time in your mind. Now for me, my past is always behind me. And my future is always straight out in front of me. Now for other people, their past may be over to the left and their future over to the right. Some people it might be out to diagonal. It doesn't, there's no right or wrong. A lot of people see time this way, but not me. I see time this way. So what I'll do, if I've got a situation that I don't like, like let's say you're sick. You know, anybody ever been like really sick or anybody ever thought you were really sick? And like you had to deal with all the thoughts and feelings and the, and the blood tests and, the, and, and going back and you had to deal with all the anxiety even though maybe you didn't have it. And I remember being stuck in places in my life and this helped me so much to just put my future out on the floor just like this. And no matter how uncomfortable my present situation was, I would allow myself, you do this spatially, you do it just, don't do it in your mind, do it on the floor. <laughs> Say, okay, this is my moment in time, this is my present experience, this is what I don't like, what, 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 is, what I'm uncomfortable with, what I'm going through. And I'm going to step out of that, and I'm going to come forward on my timeline somewhere into the future. 
And I'm going to remember what it was like when I used to be in that situation. So you're facing a diagnosis. I've got cancer. Maybe I'm going to die. Maybe, maybe I'm going to go through horrible treatments. Maybe, and you got all that pressure on you. Step out of it. Boldly walk forward two, three years, whatever the case may be. And then stand there like this and say, huh, I remember when I used to think I was going to die of cancer. I remember when I used to think that nothing about that situation was going to change. I remember when I used to think that I couldn't have and enjoy the good things in life. And watch how your perspective changes. Does that make sense? You just get out of that. You just move forward. Stuck in grief? Get out of it for a minute. Move forward and look back and say, I remember when I didn't know how to cope with grief. Stuck with an addiction? Step out of it. Move forward and look back and say, I remember when I used to be addicted. I remember when the only thing I could think about was how I was going to get the next drink. It breaks you. It does something. And that's really what we're invited into in God. We're invited to not be bound by time and space. But to break out of those confines as powerful children of God. And move forward into the future and begin to imagine and begin to think about. And begin to choose and begin to feel about a future that we haven't arrived at yet. And just go ahead and go on out into the future and think about it. And then just, you know, stay there. (laughs) Sometimes it could just be that simple. I love you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, anything I said that someone found offensive, that someone found something to trip over or stumble over, Father, I pray that you'll just dissolve that from their heart and mind right now. That you will cause such a love for me to come over their own heart that they'll just forget about that. And they'll be able to focus, Lord, on what you're saying to them in their situation. And Lord... Shine your light in our hearts and minds so clearly that we wake up and see the internal structures, the internal buildings that we have been living inside. And by the power of your Spirit and the power of your blessing, move us into the place of choice into the place of awareness where together we co-create a new reality, a new life, and a new future. Lord, you love your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's a number of you, maybe, maybe just one or two, but the word, the phrase, crushed in spirit, crushed in spirit, resonates with you. You either had something that happened to you or you're walking through something presently 
and you feel crushed on the inside. You feel crushed in spirit. It's actually not a bad place to be because maybe that just means that those thoughts and feelings that were holding you in bondage have already been demolished to some degree. And it's good. But it's time to rebuild. (laughs) It's time to rebuild a new life. And so, Holy Spirit, just come over those right now. I'm not going to invite you to come forward. doesn't matter. You can receive the Holy Spirit right there where you are. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your power and your presence. Just coming over those right now that feel crushed in spirit. And I thank you for ministering the healing grace of Christ right there in their seats. I want to say to you, if you feel crushed because of your own mistakes, that you are forgiven. I want to say to you that if you feel crushed because of your own choices, I want to remind you that your choices have power and you can absolutely choose a brand new life and a brand new future. The same power of choice that causes you to feel crushed in spirit is the same power of choice that you need to claim and own because it's the same power that's going to help you rebuild. So receive right now an empowering impact from the Holy Spirit. So if it was your mistakes, if you're, for, you're forgiven, if it was your choices, that same power that got you in this mess is the same power that's going to get you out of this mess. Claim it. Own it. Receive it. And those of you that especially feel oppressed because of the the way the system is set up, because of the way society is set up, because it's just kind of stacked against you, I want to invite you to experience, if nothing else, if nothing else, I want to invite you. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but I want to invite you to think and feel differently because to a large degree, your quality of life is influenced by how you think and feel. So you may be dealing with a situation that you are powerless to change, but you're never powerless to think or feel differently about that situation. And you will be surprised. You will be surprised how much brighter your day gets, how much more hopeful your life gets, how much joy can be restored to you if you just choose to think and feel differently. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. You don't have to internalize what happened to you. You don't have to internalize society's judgments about you. You can choose to give new meaning to your life. You can choose to give new meaning to your existence and to who you are. As a child of God, you can choose to think and feel differently today, right now. Such a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just let waves of His presence right now just wash over you. Just let waves of His presence right now just wash over you. Waves of His love, waves of His peace. Right there where you're at. In the name of Jesus. Those waves are bringing blessing. Those waves are bringing refreshing. Those waves carry healing and hope. Thank you, Jesus.
Hallelujah. Let's stand up.